Hey, welcome back to Investment Fund Secrets. So today is a special episode. I actually interviewed two partners at Arrived Partners, and this is the recording of that interview. This interview was amazing, and I'll tell you why. These guys, out of college, no Harvard degree, no experience, said they wanted to start a fund. They're doing real estate, so Airbnb, VRBO rentals. Um, and so they go out, they find properties, put them under contract, and they need to raise $5 million in 60 days. No experience, never had raised money before, and they went out and did it. And literally at the final hour, like last day, they got one last investor in and closed it. So here's their story of how they did that. This is an incredible, credible interview. It's one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. So hope you enjoy, and I'm gonna cut over the audio right now. I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around, and now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it with no investors and without an Ivy League degree? This podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, guys, so today is a special interview. I'm with Scott and Max, and the cool thing about interviewing these guys is this. So they're, they run Arrive Partners, and they're just like a lot of us. They've just started in the last, what, six months, right? Yeah, we've been in fruition, you know, for a couple years, but, you know, really six months, we've made headway. Yeah, so, I mean, they're just leaving the launching pad and have done really well. So just a quick background on them. So they, and they're gonna tell us all about it, but they do Airbnb rentals, um, with short-term living and they're, they're gonna dive into that whole strategy. So a lot of you real estate investors out there, this is huge. And then we're excited to hear how they found money. Um, their first deal wasn't gonna happen and then right at the last second it did happen. So we're gonna hear that story. And for a lot of people out there that are wondering, how can I find money? How can I find investors? These two guys are young guys and they're out here hustling. They didn't go to Harvard. They haven't worked on Wall Street for 20 years. They're just entrepreneurs that are making a killing right now, running a fund, the greatest business model ever invented. So, welcome to the show, Scott and Max. How Thank you guys you. doing? Thanks, Bridger, we're good. Yeah. Glad to be here, thanks for having us. So, and, and also with these guys, I've known Max since high school, even before that, we're in middle school, we met, we actually played football together in high school, we did student government, stuff like that, and then Scott I met in college um, at BYU, and we talked about fund like three years ago. Yeah. We both like were like, oh, let's do a fun. We all three of us actually were talking about getting together and doing. We were gonna do um, what was it? Mobile homes. Mobile homes. Yeah, we were and we were gonna get yeah. into trailer park space. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> going after and knocking on doors. And yeah, trying to make it happen. So it's fun to come back like a couple years later now, and I run a fun now. You guys run your own fun and just growing like crazy. So first off, so tell me how it all got started. And first off, actually, why a fund? I want to hear that first. Why did you decide on doing a fund? Because you could have done a million, a million things, right? Why a fund? What got you started there? Yeah, you know, great question. I actually never really thought about a fund until probably like eight months ago. Hmm. But I knew I was really excited about real estate. Hmm. And I'd seen, you know, how real estate cash flows um, can create a passive income. And that originally was my goal. I thought, well, hey, if I can create a passive income for myself, what can I do with a crazy amount of money? Mm. And if I can get a little chunk of that, I'm going to do pretty well. Mm. And from my perspective, uh, I, so I was originally studying to go into investment banking because I thought that's what you had to do to get into a fund. And uh, I'd seen Scott. Scott was 
it's interesting because we're pretty close in age, but I've, I've always looked up to Scott and respected him. And he, he was managing a couple manage. He, he had bought a couple uh, couple little, what were they, like duplexes down in Provo. It's just created. Yeah, a little duplex. We bought a little vacation rental, you know, kind of year after year for the last, you know, probably four years. We'd try and acquire a property every year and build that slowly. And yeah. while I was in school. And, and you're doing awesome. this in college, right? Yeah, I in started college. 22 wow. years old. Wow. We bought our first duplex and it's got, that's what got all started. Mm. So anyways, I was watching that and I was just like, man, that's super interesting. Um, and I, I had a good, I had a little bit of context as like what a private equity fund looked like. And I, I, I always assumed there was this wall between, you know, what Scott was doing and what, you know, a big private equity fund uh, does. But um, over the last couple of years, I think uh, Scott and, and our pro- my project has been able to kind of prove us, prove my initial thinking wrong. You can kind of cross that bridge a little mm-hmm. easier than you think. So, but excuse my language, but what gave you guys the balls to go out and start a fund in your early 20s, mid-20s, to go out and say, screw it, I've done a couple rental properties, I've done a little small things here and there with the real estate, but I'm going to go raise money, we're going to play with the big boys. Like, what gave you that confidence? Because that's, most of the listeners, I think, in the show, it's like, that just seems so far away. And obviously, in the show, we're trying to make it more realistic. And you guys, what, I mean, what gave you that, right? What gave you that drive? Yeah, well, I mean, some of my dad has always said, he said, you know, if what one person could do, another person can do. Hmm. That's totally true. I mean, why can why can one person go out and sell something, but another can't? Hmm. You know, that person believes they can do it, right? And so there's never, I don't know, maybe it's just how I function, my, you know, inner core. But whenever I see something, I never think, oh, I can't do it. But rather, okay, how can I do it? What skills do I need to go and do that thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we said, you know, we were um, originally getting started, like Max was saying, and, and Bridger, we, we had um, bought in a couple, my wife and a couple rental properties. And with another buddy and I, um, we actually wanted to just create more cash flows without our capital. So we started leasing other people's properties and then subleasing them out to other people. Hmm. And um, wait, so you weren't actually buying properties; you were just yeah, getting we, the lease, no capital, and subleasing and making the wow. That's, yeah, that's, put it back up on the market. Wow. Yeah, and not everyone was super crazy about that, and mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of red tape in it. We, you know, lost some money, we made some money, but learned a ton while we were doing it. Mm-hmm. But everybody we talked to was excited about the idea, and I think you have a huge advantage when you don't come from this huge institution. You don't come from this, you know. Um, years of experience because people want to see the underdog succeed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so people saw we were just going after it. We didn't care. We were doing this while we we're in school. People wanted to help us, and everyone we talked to, you know, it wasn't a no, but it was more so, you know, was it their fit or the right timing? Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, also, I think that a lot of times we think, oh, I need a, you know, I, I've listened to your podcast a little bit, and something you talk about is a lot of people are under the assumption you have to go to Harvard, go to Wall Street, uh, go to Wall Street, um, and get that experience in order to start a fund. But in some ways, you may be closer, um, have closer to the skills necessary to do so while you're a college student. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the amount of people that we've been able to reach out to 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 uh, help advise us on on how they've you know built their fund or their practice or whatever it is, um, there, there's just so many people willing to help when you're in college. So, are you guys both like, college dropouts? You still in school? Like, what's going on? 
I've got one more class. No way. <laughs> I've had one class for two years, so we just, you know, I, I, um, everything just got so crazy with with our business model. You know, everything started running, and I'm gonna. Do you want to hold know, that as like I never graduated I don't from know, school? I like, what's gonna fit my story best? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Max, about you? I'm a. I'm so I, I was originally applied in computational math major. I had to scale back and take out the applied in computational and just go math. But I'm finished. I do a couple credits a semester. I'm just going to stretch it out over the next few years. Um, so I, you know, we try and brand ourselves as, as uh, college grads. But uh, at the same time, it's kind of fun to tell the, the other stories sometimes as well. So Now, is that hard? Because a lot of people would say, oh, I'm not going to invest in two college dropouts or almost graduates, right? When you pitch investors or you're trying to find capital from banks, does that come up? Is that a – and how do you get around that? What do you guys say? Yeah, I mean – totally depends who you're talking to, right? You know, some people, um, you know, the comfort of knowing that this person's been educated when they're about to give you a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, is, is important. Um, but at the same time, you know, whoever you are thinking about, you know who your investors are going to be. And as you start going into that and biggest thing, I mean, nobody really asked me, Oh, what school did you go to? Hmm. But the story we told was, yeah, we went out, you know, we leased 30, you know, properties. We subleased them. We saw this. We learned that. Mm -hmm. And with your money, we're going to be able to do this. Hmm. And so it was really more just our experience and us, you know, that we had done something. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people are like, oh, you know, if I find someone who has couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, mm. you know, then we'll start a fund. Yeah. But it's like, just start where you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, my starting point was our duplex. We got in with $10,000 mm. and it was like three and a half percent plus closing costs. A lot of people think, oh, I need 20% down to get an investment property. You know, we moved into one side of the unit, rented out the other, mm -hmm. fixed it up, reappraised it, got all of our money back and put it into the next property. Mm. And I literally knew nothing about real estate. It was actually my wife's idea. Wow. She said, hey, my friend, you know, just bought this, you know, um, house and they're renting out a couple rooms in it, you know, to college kids. Mm -hmm. So she actually was the one who found the property, mm. contacted the realtor, and, you know, we, we got started from there. But, but because we had, you know, gone out and actually done something and not just sat and thought about it, People, you know, were excited about it. People, you know, trusted us because they knew we were doers. Yeah. And I think I love that. Like, just kind of for a second, I love that because that's, yeah, with my fund too, I tell that same story of a lot of people think, oh, to start a fund, I need to raise $50 million minimum for our first fund and then we'll grow from there. And like our fund, my first, I've told some people this, my first fund was like 35 grand. I called it a fund. It wasn't even really a fund, but I called it. I had like four investors. I got 35 grand together and just started doing awesome. stuff. You know, you know? Just, just start right? doing stuff and then it builds a track record and then it could be subleasing apartments for almost free, right? Um, you can start with less than 10 grand and just get into the fund world. I love that. And Max, I cut you off. Yeah, no, I, I just, I think, uh, I, think I, I totally agree with everything Scott said and I, I kind of had two thoughts coming out of that. It's already been echoed by you, Bridger, but but if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna give your money to someone um, to invest in short-term rentals, you're gonna invest in someone who's spent time on short-term rentals. You're not gonna sp give your money to someone who's worked in some big institution that's never touched short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first point. That, there's kind of a misconception there. Mm -hmm. um, but then the second point is um, is you need to kind of 
you, you need to understand that the first step in raising a fund, you're not going to be going to super sophisticated people a lot of the time. You have to get a little scrappy with your fundraising efforts. You have to look to other people. Um, it's, you don't have to hire someone from Goldman Sachs to go directly to Goldman Sachs to hire the funds. That phase comes way down the road if, it even need, if you even need it. Um, a lot of the upfront capital is not, you know, you're looking for people in your own community um, or from nearby communities who, have, who are interested in, in this investment vehicle you've created. So, I love that. So now I want to hear about your first deal because I've heard blips of this from both of you when we've talked on the phone and stuff about how you found the properties, put them under contract. I know you're on a, it was a scary time. You were back and forth and then it somehow magically rainbows came together. Like what happened? Can, can you guys fill me on the details? Let's hear the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of it. I want to hear all of it. Yeah, probably biggest roller coaster out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, um, about a six month process from when we, you know, actually flew out to our location mm -hmm. and then where we actually, you know, closed on the deal and started getting it running. Mm -hmm. um, before that, like I told you, we had done experience with short term rentals, leasing up apartments and, you know, subleasing them out. Um, our, our goal was really to find the hot, the biggest margin areas. Mm -hmm. And so our other partner, Tanner, who I'm sure. You guys will meet at another Yeah, another I think we'll time. get on that podcast later. But um, but we just started flying out to, to a couple different cities we were excited about. We went to a couple places in Texas. Um, we went down to Arizona. Um, and then, so you just bought plane tickets and started flying around. Like yeah. they, that just looked good. You said, let's go check it out. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. you know, because yeah. real estate's all on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and, and it actually proved true. When we flew into a city, we kind of just acted like tourists because we're doing mm -hmm. short-term rentals. And if we were excited about the city and there were tons of people there, you know, and, and in one of them, I mean, when we went to Nashville, where our first deal was, we couldn't even find a place to stay. Wow. You know, it took us forever. Finally, we found one popped up because someone had canceled and we had a place to stay and that was on a Tuesday in February. Hmm. So we're like, holy cow, you know, if we can, you know, if, if we're having a hard time to find a place, obviously this is a good market, right? Mm -hmm. But we never would have known that had we not been on the ground. Hmm. Um, and so we flew out to this, um, to a couple different cities Our actually our last city, which was probably perfect. It happened this way. So we could realize just how good it was. Mm, yeah. But last place we stopped was Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my Tanner, he's, he's in charge of all of our, you know, realtor relations and things like that. Kind of just always keeping our feelers out there for good deals. Mm -hmm. And him and I, we met up with our realtor just started driving around to you know everywhere that was um, zoned for short-term rentals mm. we went to like 10 different properties mm. and we came up to our first deal hilltop at elmhurst mm. and as a group of townhomes they were just being framed mm. so we couldn't even see what they looked like mm -hmm. but it just felt awesome mm. and uh, that night we started running the numbers okay you know if we can make this much from our data set, yeah. you know, buying it at this price, what are we going to make? Um, all the numbers penciled in. So the next day we wrote all of our savings off in an earnest money check, <laughs> handed it to the realtor and flew back home. Wow. To bike it to get all, was it five of them or uh, how many eight, town, eight. eight townhomes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Eight townhomes. So they were all about, they were between five fifty and $600,000. Wow, yeah. So four and a half million dollar mm. um, acquisition price total. And we came home and 
you know, shoot, now we got to find a million. And you had no plan to like find the money. I mean, like you just wrote, you said, we're, we'll figure it out. Yeah. How, what was your closing time? How much time did you have? We had 60 days. 60 days. To and that out. <laughs> Whoa, this was, in, this awesome. was in March, closing in middle of May. Yeah. Wow. So then, so then what happens? You come home and Max, maybe you can jump in here too. Um, you come home, you're excited about this deal, but now you got to find four and a half million dollars. So what, yeah. what, I mean, you're calling friends, family, who, like, what, what do you guys do first? Yeah, we actually went up and met with your dad, Bridger. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, kind of pick his brain a little bit. Yeah. Um, Did he give you guys money? Oh, absolutely not. not. Yeah, he doesn't give us the t- yeah. same talk he gave no. you, man. <laughs> he never gives money. No, no. I mean, we walked out <laughs> and she handed, but. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to give you real quick my perspective on, on, on like, this portion of the story, because it was, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. This is where Scott and Tanner, I just, like. I just knew something cool was coming um, because I so I I had uh, I'd been doing little things like pricing and different things for the units that Scott and uh, Scott and Tanner and I had like looked at before so like the thirty to forty units that we were managing on Airbnb, um, but I was I was also a full time student still at this point so I had like eighteen credits like math physics all sorts of crazy stuff so I was pretty swamped and just trying to do as much as I could but not able to do a ton finished and I had an internship lined up that summer. So I had like a month so that that 60 day period he's talking about, I was with him for about a month of it. And I remember going over to Scott's basement. We're all in this tiny little room in Scott's basement. It's where it all started. Not even furnished yet. Or like it was, it had a couple desks in concrete floor. Um, just to- square feet. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I just remember going in that room every day I'd go over there. Um, at the beginning we were all hyped and it was just all hype. We were super excited about this new prospect and as the month wore on um that hype started to turn into anxiety and i would like the closer i got to that office like i'd be driving down i-15 down the freeway and i'd get closer and closer and i could just feel the anxiety rising and rising i'd get over there and i just see scott and tanner just like writing on the whiteboard calling people and i'd start shooting emails to people and it was just it was pretty intense and then and then i was gone for a little bit and, and next thing i know we're setting up units in Nashville so so maybe talk to Scott yeah so fill that, yeah. fill that gap right so you guys are in the basement you're right on the whiteboard you're yeah I was really just calling people okay. I mean your dad told us you know call you know everyone you know mm-hmm. so that's what we started doing I mean it's not rocket science yeah and what would you say what was the conversation like yeah you know we we kind of started with um the first thing we did actually was we reached out to a couple people that we knew had good networks mm-hmm. um and one of them we actually brought on as a um, minority partner in our in our group um, runs an accounting firm works with a ton of um, guys in the sales industry mm. and that's I think what really saved us mm. um, because this guy knew so many people mm. um, and he knew who wanted to invest mm-hmm. um, and that saved us a ton of time because he was able to provide his network and we mm. really tapped into that and then uh, but okay, wow, that was really cool. We got like, did you pay pay him a commission, or was he just a partner? On the yeah, deal? so we actually brought him in as a partner. Okay. Zach Bassett, gotcha. of JD okay. Accounting. So cool. he um, has has ownership in our company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, handles our books, and mm-hmm. you know, great partner gotcha. for the financial side of things um, too. And then we actually just started reaching out to other people, kind of like him, mm-hmm. that we knew knew um, had a lot of money and knew people with a lot of money. So another guy we brought on, he was actually became the signer for a loan, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make the deal happen because he wanted to get, mm-hmm. um, you know, his portion of the deal for signing on him. Mm-hmm. So he introduced us to a ton of people, and then 
um, you know, that, that same process until we went from like in the first two weeks, we had a, we actually had like $350,000 come in. We were wow. super stoked. We're like, oh, we're going to do wow, this. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, two weeks, we're uh, a quarter of the way there. We've got, you know, six more weeks we can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had no money for the next six weeks. Oh, wow. And luckily, by saving grace, construction was delayed. Oh, so our that closing got yeah. Oh we were wow. Toast. Yeah. So oh. our, our closing got pushed to the middle of June. Did you guys like fly out there and kick down some boards and stuff and yeah. like <laughs> yeah, went with our sledgehammers, yeah. chainsaws, you know, just, Sorry, just going, yeah. jackhammered the foundation. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but in all seriousness, you know, we, um, you know, had an extra month um, to raise this money, and you know, so we just. Every day we're calling people, following up, going to lunches, playing golf with people, just trying to meet, you know, everybody, talk to everybody we knew. And really, you know, the last day um, before before we're um, submitting our applications for a loan, you know, to still close on time, um, one of somebody we had been working with for about a month came in with $300,000. And, you know, so we raised a million and a half mm. and we're able to purchase six out of the eight homes. Mm. We would have had all eight, but the lender screwed up on his side. Oh, so sure. we only got six because mm. um, they funded the last two too late. Yeah. Awesome. But we got, you know, three and a half million in assets. Wow. Wow, that's that's an incredible story. Like seriously, the last couple of days, like it was down yeah, to the wire. Really like fourth the quarter, wire. time's yeah. running out. Yeah, but I mean, we always knew. I don't know, it was just something we knew we were gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And so, even till the final hour, we we're calling everybody we knew mm-hmm. and never gave up, and it, you know, it happened. Jeez, that's incredible. You put your feet to the fire yeah. on that deal. Yeah, and that's a, I don't know. When I talk to other people that run a fund, that's something I, they think they miss is that tenacity. I don't know. I don't know if you find that tenacity with. Harvard guys that sit in their high office and type on computers all day to go out, to fly out there, to leverage their savings, put it, put a down payment on it, come home and say, we got to find the money now. Right. Um, we, uh, we actually have a little saying, um, <laughs> should we tell them about our saying, Scott, or should we keep that it. secret? Scott, Scott said to me one day, huevos beats skills. And if you speak Spanish, you might know what Scott's saying, but huevos plus skills beats huevos, which is greater than skills. So Huevos and skills is the best combination you can have. And Scott really spent, I I think we spent some time developing those skills, um, managing, you know, those properties in the early days. And then, and then it just took a, took a a few months of anxiety and a lot of hard work. Um, Huevos, in other words, to, to close (laughs) that deal. Yeah. It really came from, you know, I love this uh, little speech by Jim Brown. Sorry for going over. No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. He just talks about why, you know, people make what they do mm-hmm. and it's all the value that they bring to the marketplace. You know, not their value as a person because there's a lot of great people, but why do some people make millions and other people make minimum wage? Because the value of their day-to-day work mm-hmm. is what it's valued at. I mean, mm-hmm. you can replace a grocer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these people making millions, you can't replace them. Mm-hmm. They're irreplaceable. That's why they make so much. Um, and so, you know, in my, in school, I was probably the least smart kid in you know, all of my classes, but I wanted to, you know, I knew I could learn it if I put in the effort. 
But I wonder, okay, why do these super smart people who go to school, who get masters, why is their cap like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars? And that's not what I want my cap to be, you know. Versus these people making millions. Well, you know, their sum total of attributes is what two hundred fifty thousand dollars is valued at Mm -hmm. to them. The guy making millions, you know, what did the marketplace value more? Mm -hmm. You know, well, he took risks. Mm -hmm. He developed these leadership skills. You know, he did all those things which valued that greater and you know so all the skill in the world but if you don't have the risk mm-hmm. you know you're not willing to just go after it and do it and execute mm-hmm. you know you only be valued so much right yeah something that same thread that i love you talked about was the risk especially and i'm i think starting a fund at a young age is the best time to do it and you got to be ready obviously and have you know the skills and the huevos to do it but like right now if i lose it all like you know I didn't lose that much, right? And I'm, I'm young, I'm, you know what I mean? I feel like you guys might feel the same way. Of, let's take risks, let's go out and, and take on the world and maybe it's gonna end up where we're making millions and, and uh, you guys are probably already there, but me, one day, <laughs> making millions. But um, another thing too I love from your story was the fact of a good deal trumps everything else. When you can present somebody a good deal, it, it surpasses everything else because everyone looks at the deal and says, wow, like I run the numbers, that makes total sense. This is a diamond in the rough, and we're gonna put money to it. Um, so I want to ask you guys, future now. What's you don't don't spell your secrets or everything, but what's what's the plans going forward? Where do you guys see yourself in three, five, ten years? Um, if you thought thought through that, yeah, we're gonna be the short-term rental behemoths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, really in the short-term rental industry, we love it, and you know, we try and sell everybody on short-term rentals because they're mm-hmm. so good mm-hmm. and. It's such a mom and pop industry where you have anybody can make money. There's also a huge opportunity to institutionalize it, mm-hmm. which really is our and our mission from the get go. We want to become short term rental experts, mm-hmm. but then open up the investments for the everyday person to come in. Mm-hmm. And some people who invested with us, it was like 15,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd love to always keep some of our investments for some of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we can. You know, always have the you know meet regulations and be able to do that mm-hmm. um, you know but really to make you know short-term rentals to you know just build this awesome super cool really unique set of short-term rentals across the nation and mm-hmm. hopefully globally I love that Max any more thoughts yeah I think I mean I, I would just echo what Scott's saying obviously we're, we're in kind of a fragmented industry where there's not a lot of huge players yet they're starting to emerge a few but I think we can be amongst the leaders in the industry and be the leader of the industry if we're able to execute on what we're doing um, so that's that's really exciting and I, I love the idea of uh, I love what we're doing too because um, you're able to build up recurring revenue but then you're also able to have equity and you're able to sell things off and so you're able to just I mean when you think of different ways to make money those are kind of the two ways you make money you know is salary um, or I guess salary, recurring revenue, and equity, right? And so, like, recurring revenue in this situation is our salary, mm-hmm. and, and we also get equity in projects. So, um, yeah, for me, I think the biggest motivation is just uh, it's fun to grow something. I love the team I'm with. I think that's something that it's overlooked a lot is finding the right team to work with. Um, and I think that, uh, that that capital that we're able to produce is going to enable us to be able to, to to do some pretty cool cool other projects and and help a lot of people. So that's yeah, kind of the incentive for our team, I'd say, as a whole as well. So Absolutely. Thanks, Matthew. And I think something, Bridger, you said, you no know, good deal trumps all. 
Mm. You know, going back when we flew to these cities, that was like a four month process where we turned down, we had four deals that were, we were just ready to send the earnest money to and put it under contract. Mm. But the numbers, we just had to move things around too much. Mm. And we wanted to have our first deal be such a home run deal Mm -hmm. that investors would just be knocking on our door begging for us to take their money. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we, you know, like I said, you know, turned down these deals and we wanted to do them really bad because we're like, shoot, Mm -hmm. I haven't been paid in six months. Mm -hmm. You know, my savings is dwindling and, you know, just just coming low. Should we just put this deal together? you know, but no deal is better than a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we turned it down mm-hmm. and then this amazing deal came up and, you know, we've been on, you know, live for two months and our bookings are showing we're going to hit our returns and hopefully a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and our investors are really excited. You know, they, That's exciting. They're, you know, wanting, we're, we're actually, you know, looking about to put something mm-hmm. under contract again. Yeah. I love it. I think that's the, the sign of a good, at least I'm, I'm not deep into real estate myself, but when I talk to real estate people, that's a sign of a great real estate investor is patience. I love what you said. Yeah, no deal is better than, than a bad deal, right? And I love that you wanted to make your first deal a slam dunk. And I talked to you guys earlier, right? And I've done this with my fund too, is the first deal, the first fund, sometimes doesn't make you a ton of money, but it builds you a ton of street cred, investor relations, and propels you into your second, third, fifth, hundredth deal where then you can really reap the huge rewards. So Scott, Max, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I'll probably interview you guys in the future and I'm excited to see where you guys go. Yeah, thanks Bridger. This has been fun. Good work, you guys. Hey, what's going on? I know a lot of you out there are starting funds or thinking about starting funds and something I was so grateful for was having mentors. When I started my first fund, I had people to turn to and to ask questions. And so what I've decided to do is make the same thing for you. So what we've done is compiled a lot of interviews, things that I've learned, my personal pitch decks that I've used to pitch investors and put it all into what I call a mini vault. So in there, I deep dive into Forex funds, into real estate funds, how to structure them, how to structure deals, how to find investors. And I try to go deep to help mentor you to help you start your first fund. And in addition to that, we have a private members group on Facebook that fund managers are getting together on there and talking and working through problems together. So if this is interesting to you, if you wanna get involved and get some help right off the ground, go to investmentfundsecrets.com for less than 100 bucks, you can get started and get into the mini vault and I would love to see you in there on the Facebook group and talk with us. Thanks, see ya.